Hey everybody, welcome to episode 111 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast, minus Art and Eric. But that's okay, because on this episode, I welcome back Keith Silvis. Hello. Now, Keith, he is bringing on another guest as well. And this special guest, um, would you mind telling us about uh, the special guest? Yes, so... Um, a couple of weeks back, I went to San Diego Comic-Con. Um, specifically, there was an after party there uh, with one of my friends I went. And I ended up meeting uh, a man by the name of Sam Sheeran. And he is a dark artist. Um, he has done work for uh, cover art for <laughs> a, quite a few bands um, with their merchandise, things like that. And a lot of like metal and dark, just awesome looking art. A um, couple of them would be like Rob Zombie, Slayer, Iron Maiden, um, Rammstein, Orgy, Him. So he's done some of this stuff with these bands. And uh, as he was talking about it, I just thought, man, I know Jacob is like a music fiend and he likes some of these bands. And I think that it might be a cool fit to have him come and talk on the podcast. So I asked him and he said yes. And, you know, here we are a few weeks later, a couple weeks later. And, um, yeah, so yeah, we had one of the most awesome experiences on this podcast. So I got to say, uh, in, you know, in all honesty, one of my top five favorite episodes of all time. Sam is an awesome guy. Um, not only is he, you know, we explore, you know, his artistic side, and we talk about some of the artists that he works with, um, you know, in the comic book industry, in the music industry, um, you know, and I also in the you know the acting world as well. But we also cover some you know cryptozoology as well. So, um, in, in all in all reality, he could easily be uh, the new third or fourth host of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. So, really amazing uh, episode, guys. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Like, oh, thick yeah. biscuits in America. Like, I don't know what you guys would call that. And then there was something about like a cupcake too that came in. I don't know. It was just interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, when I remember going to a diner and I saw on the menu biscuits and gravy and I thought that just sounds disgusting because, <laughs> because in my mind, I'm thinking like tea biscuits and yeah. actual gravy stock from like a roast dinner. And I'm thinking, how does that go together? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, oh, it's really nice. Oh, <laughs> trust me. I mean, you can get biscuits, really bad biscuits and gravy, but when you get it, like, even mediocre, like, it's still some of the best stuff on earth. Like, in my opinion. I it, mean, it tastes good. It's, yeah. like, terrible oh, for it's, you. Yeah, it's horrible for your health. I mean, I'm sure, I'm like. Not, not for me. <laughs> it's okay. All right, cool. Oh, before, I just I just want to know, like, how do I pronounce your last name? Is it Sheeran? That's right. Like Ed. Ed Sheeran yeah, and you were yeah, related to each other. Yeah, totally. He spells his wrong, and I was here first. Okay, there you go. And he's ginger. Oh, <laughs> that is true. Yes. Therefore, no soul. Therefore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, sweet. All right, cool. So whenever you're ready, I'll... Um, I'm well, ready. Oh, I thought you were grabbing tea. Well, I'm going to grab a tea, but my lovely assistant uh, is going to hand it to me. Ooh. Oh, snap. You have an assistant. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, my girlfriend. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> is, <laughs> Did I meet her at at the yes, after did. party? Oh, what is her name again? Jen. Jen. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I remember her. She's like a gymnast. She is correct. Yeah, nice. she does triple flips and somersaults and all kinds of crazy stuff. 
I'm trying to get my back tuck back down. Like I fell on a trampoline on my neck Ooh. and was like, Ooh. but I've done them on the ground, like standing on the ground. And I think just like not doing that the same way yeah. on a trampoline. Like, so I've been really freaked out to try it again. But <laughs> it was like a life goal for me. Like I want to be able to do a backflip. Yeah. I remember trying to do that at high school once just on the playing field during lunch break. I just decided to, to sort of from standing flip over backwards and ended up landing <laughs> on my face and nearly breaking my neck because the weight of my body went behind me and <laughs> never doing that again nope <laughs> i'm just i'm just too chubby to even attempt it at this point in my life i'm just like you know what it's the way i've been made i'm just i'm just gonna enjoy the way i am right now just sitting yeah, down you, you'd, you'd be fine though because you have all that cushion to take the impact <laughs> yeah but not snap. like his neck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that just adds on to it yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and hit record on everything okay. real quick, and then just let the conversation be where it needs to be. And then, sure. hey, what I'm thinking is we'll just ask you a few questions, and then you just run with it, man. You're the star of the show. Okie dokie. Nice. All right. So welcome to another exciting episode of Art and Jacob Do America minus Art this week um, because he has other obligations. So I welcomed onto this show. My favorite cousin of all time, Keith Aaron Silvis. Oh, hello. So, are, <laughs> is, are we doing America right now, you and me? We are currently doing America with a special guest, <laughs> Sam Sheeran. 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 I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. So, Sam, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell hello, us about you. Hello, Keith. Hello, Jacob. I am Sam Sheeran, um, as you quite rightly pronounced like Ed Sheeran, but <laughs> spelt differently. Spelt correctly, in fact. Nice. No relation, by the way, right? Not at all. Thank also God. not ginger, as far as I know. No. I have a little bit in my beard, but, you know, okay. that's partly the Irish heritage. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> so tell us about yourself, Ed, uh, Sam. <laughs> I called you Ed. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, you, you can call me Ed if you want. No, no, no. <laughs> Sam. Mr. Sam. Yeah, <laughs> as sure. I saved on my phone. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm a uh, British born, born in Liverpool. Um, what's referred to as a dark artist style illustrate um, more of a macabre subject of um, album sleeves and book covers and comic books and movie posters and concept artwork and things like that. Um, and I currently live in Los Angeles and uh, yeah, living the dream, I suppose. Sweet. Um, now, I was introduced to you by my cousin here, Keith, so that's why I'm so glad he came um, came on the episode with us uh, to interview you. And I was looking at your artwork, and it is simply amazing. And I'm not just saying this because you're on my show, but um, <laughs> it's it's the stuff that I love um, uh, in our you know texts back and forth to each other. You know, I'm a big fan of you know um, bands like Rammstein, Slayer, and I'm a fan of like that type of artwork as well. So when I was looking at all of your stuff. I was like, wow, this this is right up my alley. I, so hats off to you, sir. Right, well, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So I, when the kind of the thing that started me even, the wheels moving in my head that, oh, like this might work out as like a podcast thing with Jacob. Like I knew you did some, um, you know, cover art for metal bands and such, but I really want you to tell the story about how you got started as a professional artist, because that that was inspiring to me. It was just really cool. Um, oh right, yeah. yeah. Could you tell I, our sure, audience yeah. about that? Um, so back in two thousand six, um, I was still living in England at the time, and I had 
a, a, a day job working in a call center, believe it or not. Mm. And I'm not ashamed to admit or sort of just um, let everybody know that I've probably done every other job under the sun, as most people have. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really proud of it. You know, I've worked in bars, I've worked in restaurants, I've worked in the cinema, I've worked at Blockbuster Video. Dude, I uh, worked at Blockbuster too. Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, right? That's what's <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, I have fond memories of that. that I mean, that was just oh, great putting out too. all the old horror films on the shelves and nice. things, you know. But um, yeah, so I've done all kinds of jobs. And But at the time I was working in a call center sort of... Uh, losing the will to live and um of an eve <laughs> of an evening i would um actually it's quite a funny little anecdote there is at the end of a, a shift me and the front a friend of mine that was sort of on the next desk at the call center we'd go through the phone book and find people with the weirdest names and just call them and make fun of them <laughs> <laughs> on the clock or after you <laughs> on the clock yeah oh, uh, get paid for it bro yeah, well, we'd actually sort of try and finish our work as quickly and as, as you know early as we could so that we would be able to do that. Nice. <laughs> Smart dude. Oh, man. We had, yeah, we had some screamers. It was brilliant. So uh, uh, can I just delve a little deeper into that? Because why not? Like, what kind of stuff would you do? Like, Oh, God. I mean, we're talking like, what, 14 years or so ago now? Um, I don't know, but it's like... Um, if you'd find like a, a a guy named Mr. Clive Hunt, you, know, <laughs> you can play with that, and and then uh, you, you'd find restaurants that were sort of uh, that have weird names like the Monkey Eating House, and and it's obviously some kind of play on words there. But we'd call them up and we'd say that we were really confused because we've never heard of a house that eats monkeys. And so we just basically um, can I swear on this? Oh yeah, feel free, dude. <laughs> Yeah, we'd fuck with people completely, just <laughs> left, right, and center. Just weird names, and we'd mispronounce names to make them sound funny. And I mean, was, looking back, it was so schoolboyish and cruel. And, and yeah, I mean, I was like 29 at the time. But. Dude, <laughs> I totally feel you, dude. It reminds me of that episode of Beavis and Butthead. I don't know if you're uh, versed in that. Oh, but, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's an episode where they just prank call this guy named Harry Sachs just over and over and over <laughs> again. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then like uh, Bart Simpson Simpsons. as well, like yeah, uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, that that totally like just warmed my heart hearing that. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that was my life. That was about as fun as it would get at the time. And then mm-hmm. of an evening, of course, I'd go home and I'd be I'd be tired and you know I'd, I'd make some food. And but instead of putting the television on, I'd just go straight to my room and I'd start working on artwork for mm-hmm. my own interests, whether it be monsters and cryptozoology or just. Um, tribute artwork for some of the bands that I really admired mm-hmm. but I wouldn't just sort of leave it at that and be like hey I did this picture of my favorite band I'd actually do it to the highest ability that I could um, and then I would send it to them because also at the time it was it was sort of the height of MySpace, and this was the first time in history as you know that you could really reach out directly to these bands yeah and, and you know and they would respond and so prior to that it was really hard to get in touch with bands unless you'd meet them at a show you know, you'd have to go through the label and then find the manager, and and you just kind of got stonewalled. It was always really difficult to sort of get into. There's gatekeepers, like yeah, constantly. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So with MySpace, everyone seemed to have an account, or most people anyway. And so I started um, contacting some of my favorite bands, and one of them was a, a Los Angeles-based band called Godhead, um, with. Uh, the singer Jason Charles Miller. He's he's still to this day a very very good friend of mine. Sweet. But, um, he's since become a dark country artist, sort of Johnny Cash, <laughs> but a little bit more rock. It's really yeah. bizarre. Huh. Godhead were uh, 
an industrial band, um, the first band signed to Marilyn Manson's record label. Mm-hmm. And I was a really big fan of them, and so I sent some artwork to them and said, hey, I'd really like to co- uh, create some you know, official merchandise or maybe an album sleeve for you at some point. And they said, hey, well, we're on tour next month and we're going to be in these cities. Are you near any of them? It'd be great to meet. So I did. I met them in Manchester. We hung out all day. Sweet. And, and how far uh, is that? I'm pretty ignorant. How far is that from where you were living? Well, at the time, I was living in that city. So oh, it, was, okay. um, it was, you know, perfect. I was staying in that city for about six months. And um, so I went and met the band. And then, you know, we got on like a house on fire. And they said, hey, if you ever want to come to L.A., you can come and stay at the studio or one of our houses and we can all just hang out and stuff. And Sweet. So I said, yeah, I'll keep that Dude, in mind. You know? That is so, I mean, like, so you're saying this is like one of your favorite bands and you actually not only met them, but established yeah. a friendship with them. Wow. So that's got, you got to be on cloud nine at this point. Well, again, yeah. You know, this is back in the days when, you know, I was barely 30 and I was, I was still, um, you know, nervous to meet bands. And Oh, I, I bet. Was, wasn't quite sure what to say and you know you always make a bit of a dick of yourself and <laughs> yeah you know, you, you know, many stories of that yeah or, or you or you try to be cool and then you don't say anything and then you think well shit i should have said something you know <laughs> all of those things go through your mind you missed your um, moment huh <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly exactly yeah, yeah. i mean I've, I've done that in the past so many times but um you know where you think oh i wish i'd have asked for a selfie um and you just think you know uh, from this point on, okay, I will definitely do it, and then you still don't. You know, it happens. <laughs> um, getting starstruck struck does really weird things to your brain, obviously. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, so they invited me over, and then um, a couple of months went by, and I, I got headhunted by a company called Bravado, which are a merchandise company um, who they cater for everybody from Madonna, Motorhead, you know, all the way wow. through to smaller rock bands and everything else. Um, but they, they emailed me and they said, Hey, um, we'd really like you to do some t-shirt designs for the band him. Oh yeah. Um, I've heard of, I've listened to him. Yeah. And I, I wasn't particularly a huge fan. You know, I admired a lot of their songs, but I didn't own a record. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't too familiar by them. Uh, but I knew that they were Gothic metal and it was kind of the sort of the similar genre that I was into. So I said, well, of course, you know, I'm not going to say no. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I ended up doing 25 designs for them. Um, I, and they said, you know, just send us a bunch of designs and we'll pick a few. Um, so I sent them 25 and they were like, wow, uh, this is great. You did so many. Would you like to do something for Iron Maiden? Oh, there you Ooh, go. Snap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was like, wow, you know, it really shows if you put the time and effort in, you reap rewards. Yes. Uh, they saw that I was serious and passionate about what I did. And so they, they basically gave me the gig to do some merchandise for Iron Maiden. Now, it's common knowledge that Derek Riggs is the the famous, you know, Iron Maiden iconic artist that did all the album covers, and it's kind of uh, his thing. You know, it's like kind yeah. of corpse have their artist, and Iron Maiden have their artist. You know, mm-hmm. um, so canon, yeah. It's really funny when people say, "Oh, you did stuff for Iron Maiden." You know, how if Derek Riggs did it? Well, the story is, is that when they were doing um, the Somewhere Back in Time Again tour where they basically were doing all of the old classic albums, they wanted to release more merchandise. And unfortunately, Derek was just too busy to create anything new. Mm-hmm. So they brought me in and a bunch of other artists to create uh, additional elements sort of based on the same iconography of the original albums. So I did a sort of a, an Egyptian scarab beetle and various other things that went on to uh, T-shirts and merchandise that they sold on tour. So all in all, I got paid a couple of grand from them 
and I was so sick of my call center job at that point. I thought this is the this is the time. This is a sign. You know, this is uh, this is some kind of a sign from the universe to say, get on a plane and go to LA. Mm-hmm. So I, I contacted um, Jason from the band Godhead, and I said, um, Hey, is that offer still open for me to come and visit? And, and can uh, I ask how long had it had elapsed at this point? Probably a couple of months. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and uh, and he said, Yeah, sure, man. You know, when are you thinking? So it was October. And I flew out and um, stayed with a couple other friends that I'd met out there as well. And I never looked back. You know, from that moment, I stayed on the first visit, maybe a month. Um, wow. Came back to England. And then I spent the following year making more contacts, setting up myself, and just predominantly working for bands, um, either through the merchandise company, through point of contact that I'd made in LA, you know, literally swapping business cards and saying hi and shaking hands, um, all the way through to just cold calling them. Um, and then so in 2009, I got back on a plane and went to LA and, and I've, I've basically just been there for the last, you know, what, 13 years or so. Wow. Hmm. Uh, working for X, Y, and Z, some of my favorite bands and some of the biggest bands on the planet. Mm-hmm. I have some of these written down as well. You mentioned Iron Maiden. Um, uh, the you have Kiss, Ministry, Slayer, Rob Zombie, Romstein, Doyle, Fear Factory, Biohazard, Power Man Five Thousand, Orgy, and Him. So I mean, those aren't like any you know mom and pop shop bands. You know these these Not are some garage bands. We're no, about. yeah, no, these are like world beaters right here. These are the the, the guys that they set the big tours and you know mm-hmm. they are yeah. the industry standard. So I and mean, you've worked with them all. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it it really is a dream come true, and I am living the dream. You know, it's not it's not easy. I'm not a bazillionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have to put the time and the work in. I probably I probably put more hours in than your average day job. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's like the old anecdote, isn't it? Where it's like it's not a job if it's fun. Yeah. Um, it's really not work if if you're enjoying what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am, and I love it. You know, um, occasionally there will be smaller bands that will approach me and, and I'll absolutely create for them as well because mm-hmm. if I like the music and I, I see where they're going you know it's nice to see them you know years down the line where you're like yeah I was the guy that did their first album that's yeah. always a kind of a good feeling for me as well when I see bigger bands sort of knocking around and getting popular mm-hmm. and I have a little sort of inside smile to myself saying you know why did their first t-shirt yeah yeah, it's wow. a good feeling. It's a good feeling because you kind of give them a leg up, and then they give you a leg up, and it swings in roundabouts. But um, and it lasts forever too, because like you oh said, yeah. like the guy that does Iron Maiden's artwork, I mean, his name's going to be attached to them forever. Uh, exactly. Paul Romano with Mastodon, his stuff lasts with their name forever, even though he doesn't work with them anymore. But he sure. is attached to everything that they did in their initial stages. And I always say this about artwork: artwork is not you know, disposable, like true art, like the Mona Lisa. You don't say, oh, that was that was cool back in the 1700s. No, the Mona Lisa lasts forever. It's eternal. You know, true art, like stuff that you do, that's going to last forever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's it's definitely a proud moment to sort of to see your stuff on, on billboards or on posters or, or to go to a gig and see, like, mm-hmm. a bunch of people around you wearing T-shirts you've done. Um, it's really humbling and sort of grounding as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't walk around sort of blowing my own trumpet. I am here because this is what we are talking about. But uh-huh. I do very much keep myself to myself. And if I go to a bar and someone asks what I do, I never really tell them. Nice. Uh, 
because it's not I don't like blowing my own trumpet I'm not a show off I don't sort of um, you know get any extra you know glee from doing that yeah uh, but it is you really really sort of ground into sort of think back to being at college and university in England and I'd have like a poster of Rob Zombie on my bedroom wall yeah and you know I'd be like 18 19 at the time and then literally like you know 10 years later I'm creating artwork that's in his album yeah and, you know, <laughs> meeting the guy a couple of times and shaking his hand and thinking well Jesus Christ you know this is <laughs> This is surreal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really is nice. And it's nice to stay grounded and remember where you come from and not get too big headed. And I'm, I'm really often remi- reminded by that when other artists approach me and say, you know, can you give me any advice? And I say, yeah, just, you know, be yourself. Just don't try and be anyone else. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you that question, too. You said Rob Zombie. And I've been a huge fan of Rob Zombie's since, it, you know, it was White Zombie. And, oh, yeah. Uh, one of the things that's alluring to Rob Zombie as well is that he's kind of like the prince of like that world. Like he, you know, he produces everything, he writes everything, he he does all the artwork. So he's, um, I hate to use this word, but it's the only one that's coming to my mind. But uh, the word controlling, you know, comes sure. to mind. And and I don't mean that in a negative aspect. But how is it to work with somebody that's so involved with his um his his presentation, his his brand, basically? Um. Well, you know what? In all honesty, he's he's such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very to himself. He's he's not. Um, he may appear to be a control freak, and he's he's a very very clever businessman, and he has a lot of very smart people around him, I'm sure. But um, he knows what he's doing. If I mean, I'm sure you know his history. He grew up pretty much glued to a television set, and he was quite introverted as a child. So he's not a very social person, even today. He he likes to sort of have his own space. And that, I suppose, could be seen as a sort of control freak element or attribute mm-hmm. as well. But working with him, you know, he's very um, he's very open. You know, he never asked me to change a single thing. He never had any sort of requests of like, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? Uh-huh. Um, he was sort of like, you know, I need I need this doing and I need um, it to look like this. You know, fill your boots, go for it. Um, and and. You know, just incredibly generous um, in every aspect. You know, he's um, he's very, very. What's the word? He's very freeing and um, courteous and acknowledgeable of other artists. He lets them do what what they they have. Like John Five, you know, I'm pretty sure he doesn't tell him how to play. John Five, <laughs> yeah. John Five, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's like he's empowering again, you to kind of just. Mm-hmm be yeah. yourself as an artist and him yeah, being I mean, an artist himself i'm sure he can relate to that like you know oh, that absolutely yeah he doesn't yeah. want you to compromise your work huh. exactly that's the word yeah mm-hmm. i mean he's you know being a director of course he's got a lot of control on that but and again i'm sure as a creative and a fellow creative uh team around him uh he trusts people that do what they do well and and that's the only reason he'll work with them and so he just lets them get on with it so mm-hmm. I mean, for me personally, anyway, he was just a really nice guy to work with. That's wonderful, man. <laughs> That's because that was the first one I saw that name. I was like, man, I wonder how that was. Because uh, we also interviewed an, another artist as well a couple weeks back, um, Donnie Phillips, and I asked him kind of like the same thing as well. Because you know he had worked with artists like Green Day and 
sure. Eric Clapton, Madonna, because he was um, employed by Warner Brothers in the art department as well. And he kind of said the same thing as well, too. You know, like you have artists that, hey, you know, they'll be super, you know, hovering, you know, and tell yeah. you like, oh, nope, you need to change this. And it yeah. kind of, you know, him, you know, inside intrinsically, he's just like kind of cringes a little bit because this is his art. But at the same time, he's like, hey, I'm here to do a job. So this is what I'm going to get paid for. And so he kind of just... Yeah checks out in that regards but he goes the ones that the artists that are real artists you know they kind of just let me have at it so that's 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 awesome to hear about rob yeah i mean it's yeah it's interesting you say that because um again i just want to reiterate i'm not i'm not sort of someone with an ego but i Mm -hmm. completely can relate to um your friend there because he he's very much in the same mindset as me it's like you know don't don't touch my work and don't tell me what to do you know to yeah. an extent it's like sure someone's going to hire you but at the same time um and again i'm not being pretentious but if someone's going to hire me it's for, it's for my work it's you know i'm not a painter or a decorator i don't paint by numbers and you know it, it's it's so so insulting when um someone will will say almost you know guide you by the hand every single lick of the brush all the way through it and you just think well you know what do it yourself if you know you want it in such a way then yeah just, uh, fucking do it yourself man yeah save uh, yourself some money <laughs> i've, exactly. I've kind of seen that like for um the graphic design world that people are like oh you know I want my logo to be a little more this way or whatever sure but i hadn't thought yeah. of it in terms of like art because art is like you know, graphic design is one thing. You make a pretty looking image and there is yeah. a piece of you that goes into it, but not to the degree like that art, you are basically burying your soul and putting it out on the canvas mm-hmm. or the digital canvas, whatever it is. And so, yeah, that would probably, I mean, for being someone who dabbles in art myself, I don't mm-hmm. know how I would like that. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm, have to put my I'm, name on it when someone basically directed yeah. me on how to do everything. Yeah. Oh. That's, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, that really does stink because it has happened in the past. You know, there have been bands. I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> <laughs> they have, uh, yeah, uh, and comic books, you know, and and authors and things like that, where they've wanted something to be different. And of course, um, I'm not I'm not going to be a, you know, a complete dick about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna want them to be pleased. Yeah. And of course, I'm gonna want to get paid. So <laughs> I will I will um, you know meet in the middle and say, well, how about this? Or I'll do a little change here and there. Um, but I don't bend over backwards to change things because as you say, at the end of the day, you're going to put your name on it. Mm-hmm. And if it's not your work, then I'd rather not have my name on it. You know, it's, exactly. Um, yeah. Now, has there been certain things that you have done where you're like, I don't even, I really am not going to put my name on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a few things out there that don't have my name on it. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually just here. I was talking to my sister about this. There is, um, there's a name that I think it's a director credit that was used that when the director just wants to wash his hands of the project, they use that name and I forget what it's called or I don't know if they still use it, but mm-hmm. it oh, is, wow. it's, oh man, I wish I had it, but it I've was heard that funny. a couple of times. Yeah, too. Yeah. Like somebody's <laughs> just like, oh, you know what? Whatever. I'm just, here's, I'm going to put a random alias on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. I mean, I've oh. heard that. I've heard that a few times. In fact, um, you know, Gary Oldman, the actor, obviously. Yeah, oh yeah. British legend, Dracula, whatever. Yep. He, um, he uh and of course winston churchill sid vicious all of the legends he's played commissioner Um, gordon yeah (laughs) yeah of course yeah um i love gary but he is uh also um very passionate about directing music videos um and not a lot of people know that i didn't know um he he uh has a sort of a uh what do you call it a pen name or an, an author name to sort of 
a director's side name or false name to mm. put on these because I, for some reason he doesn't want everyone to know that he does that it's kind of like a and here i am telling the world but <laughs> <laughs> the millions but, of our uh, listeners yeah yeah i I'm, I'm sure he won't mind but um so his name is gary oldman but when he credits his music videos he goes by larry goldman oh okay huh. So look out for any music videos with Larry Goldman, and you know Google that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. I was going to ask you too, kind of like to backtrack a little bit, um, because when I was um, thinking about questions to ask you during the week, um, it so just so happens I'm sitting here with my cousin. Um, When we were small, you know, that's all we did is we would just you know illustrate you know our favorite comic book characters from the X Men or the Ninja Turtles or whatnot, and. you know, uh, Keith was obvious a lot better than I was, but you know, we I just don't know bo- obvious. I don't know. Well, there are certain <laughs> things I did better that we'll, we'll we won't talk about. We're going to talk about that for a minute because that's funny as hell. Okay, man. Keith, I'll let just, you talk about it. So Jacob discovered one day that you could look at like cards, you know, like amazing art, like X Men oh. or whatever, and there's like these really hot women, but you could draw them without clothes on. <laughs> And we were like, we were like, we're like, I don't know, 10, 11 drawing these. Maybe. Yeah. And like, and so he had some really hot babes going on. I'm like, dude, wow. And then this is before the internet too. So it's like, our minds are very imaginative and I'm just like, I'm looking at she Hulk and I'm just like, God, she is so attractive. I wish her skin color wasn't green, but you know, I'm not going to hate, but let me draw my own version of this. And it was just like, it was our version of Pornhub in like the mid nineties. But oh <laughs> well, and so we the best part is we so we folded these up and we hit him, and then his mom found him. <laughs> and like I mean I think he kind of took the I don't think I ever got in trouble like, no, I don't think did. she knew Jacob just took it all on himself because he's a nice cousin but uh oh, it, oh, you know he was already in trouble so he didn't wrap me up but that was so funny yeah so <laughs> to kind of piggyback on that story. <laughs> I want to say that I did continue to draw after that. Like I've continued to work on my skills a little bit. Like that's not where I stopped. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I had to stop because the belt came down from heaven and just sliced me down to hell. But smote you. Yeah. Um, But for you yourself, when did you discover you had this talent? Because this is obviously not something that you just, just overnight just, Hey, I'm great at this, you know? So when did you discover that you had this amazing talent? Um, well, yeah, uh, sort of. You sort of answered it there. It's like you, you don't really discover it. It's mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's something you develop. Uh-huh. Um, and I think with anybody who has a skill in in any uh, faction of of creativity, whether it's writing or music or you know performing arts, dance, singing, whatever it is, um, naturally some people are just better. Um, some people are better at running. I'm really crap. There's just there's no way I was ever gonna be an athlete. Um, I also can't do um, maths, as we call it in England. Uh, <laughs> plural you, maths. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> mathematics, isn't it? Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So it's got to be makes plural. Sense. Okay. Yeah. You Americans always change it for your own whatever, but yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. So, yeah, I'm, just, I'm terrible at maths, um, and I just it's almost like a it probably is. I've never really even looked into it, but it's probably some sort of numerological uh, dyslexia of some kind because I just literally cannot figure out numbers. Um, but anything creative or, or fluidic in my mind, I seem to be really adept to it. And I think you just, as you get older, the more you use that part of your brain, it just 
you know, it just enhances it like anything. Um, if you put your 10,000 hours into anything, you become a master. And so, um, I mean, I went to, you know, high school like, you know, most people, but um, I did art and I was really interested in it. And I've been sort of drawing Godzilla since I could hold a pencil. Nice. Uh, you know, I was a, literally like three years old drawing dinosaurs and things. Um, my mom still has a big pile of those somewhere. You know, she likes to dig those out every now and then. Awesome. Hmm. But, um, but yeah, you know, I've always been drawing monsters and, and sitting in front of the television watching Jason and the Argonauts or Clash of the Titans, you know. And I would just be fascinated by Greek mythology or, you know, legends of the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. Sweet. And that, that was just my world. And, and living in England, um, I was lucky enough to... to uh, I was born in Liverpool and they have these these wonderful museums there full of dinosaur skeletons and things and so i spent quite a lot of my childhood sitting underneath these skeletons and just in absolute awe you know those are real monsters mm-hmm. um and that became my i guess my sort of initial interest into to what i do today uh drawing monsters and dark art and that kind of thing it was was pure natural history and and mythology sort of woven mm-hmm. together and so drawing all the way through up into high school, I, I already had a little bit of a skill there drawing. And then obviously in art school, you get to sort of play with it even more. Um, and then I went after that to art college for a year. Um, and then after that, I went to university. And then after that, I became a qualified art teacher. And then beyond that, I've had exhibitions. And then here I am today doing this. Um, so again, it's, you know, you put enough time into anything, you, you really can sort of master it. In, in every sense of the word. Nice. Hmm. And so you touched on uh, cryptozoology. Um, this podcast, I mean, we don't always do interviews. You know, a lot of times we pick a topic and we kind of run with it. We do our research and, you know, kind of inform people. Like one episode that my cousin here really loved was the, you know, the dark web. And we, you know, we delved into that. But um, one of my co-hosts who's not here currently, he's really into, you know, conspiracies and cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll do episodes, you know, like the Jersey Devil or Bigfoot or the Loch Ness nice. Monster and whatnot. So um, you want to talk about that for a second? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's every every boy's sort of uh, fantasy. <laughs> it's I have broke. something I'm dying to ask. Like, and on, ask. So you live over there in UK or you did like. Did you go? Did you make the pilgrimage to Loch Ness and look yourself? You know, to this day, I've never been there. Oh my gosh! Man. I got to do it when I go over there next time. And it and it sounds absolutely ludicrous because I, you know, I used to live in the great scheme of things, pretty much next door. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I've never been. Oh, um, I think I keep putting it off for some kind of special occasion because I think in in the back of my mind, you know, like anything is if I go there, I'm going to see the monster, you know? So <laughs> yeah. it's almost like, it's almost like putting it off is, is I don't want to ruin it and go there and be like, Oh, this is just cold and wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you don't want to experience the disappointment if it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. The water. Well, not only that too, but, um, wasn't, didn't Alistair Crowley live like on the shores of Loch Ness? He had a house there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that recently, um, there was like a, a private company had bought it. Oh shit! Um, I mean, the history behind that is is just crazy in itself. Robert Plant owned it at one point. Yeah. Um, and or wasn't it Jimmy Page? Was it Jimmy Page? Probably Jimmy Page. One yeah. of the two. And um, and it was it, you know it was this uh, supposedly uh, super creepy hangout for Crowley and his minions. Mm-hmm. 
um, to perform all kinds of um, spiritual rituals and, and, and raise up the monster and yeah. talk, to, talk to the dead and have orgies and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, yeah, those drug-fueled days of the 60s and 70s and stuff sort of really kind of reinvigorated that whole exploration of, of spiritualism and different religions and the ancient ones and, and the devil and that kind of stuff and paganism and, and what it really is to, to be a natural animal rather than a, a modern person. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, you had uh, these rock stars sort of buying the building and turn it into a recording studio or, or just somewhere to hang out and live or like a holiday home and then over the years it sort of changed hands and and it just sort of fell apart and there was a fire at one point oh, man. and it's just at ruins but yeah this building is on the edge of Loch Ness literally looking over the the, the fucking giant lake <laughs> wow and uh I mean could you imagine living there it's just phenomenal but but uh someone recently a, a private company recently bought it with a view to renovating it and restoring it because it's a, oh, okay, a Scottish, good. you know a Scottish heritage building it's a piece of Scottish history yeah you know this, this building is super super old even before Crowley and so um, they wanted to restore it but have it restored as uh, a temple that Crowley had in much the same way that anyone who's into that today can go and practice it or at least learn about what they did then and maybe even experience some of the same things and, and uh, reenact some things or maybe just have modern rituals and go stay there and do your own orgies or whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, um, even though money was raised to restore it and people bought it and it was kind of hush-hush for a little bit, it was literally in the last couple of days, uh, a friend of mine in the UK sent me a link um, that some arson, arsals, arsonists had... Um, set fire to it again and now ah. it's, completely, it's completely gone now um it's just ash and rubble um, so unless you know they they pour even more money into it and recreate it from photographs it's pretty much done, it's done it's yeah not, you know which is a real fucking shame and rumor has it it's a bunch of local christians who didn't want this thelemic you know occult group having somewhere to practice so they they wanted to it to be wiped out because they're all superstitious and you know, that's actually interesting that you bring that so up because that's immediately what I was thinking. I was like, I wonder if it was like some, you know, Christian group. Like, <laughs> we got to take this down. It was. I mean, that's the general oh. consensus. Yeah. Is that it wasn't just kids. It was someone who really didn't want it being built. Wow, kind of reminds me of like those Norwegian church burnings. You know, people get like this. Um, yeah. This uh, this mindset that it's just like no, not on our land, you know, and then just go ham on that. Yeah, yeah, hmm. it's. Uh, it's just one of those things, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Well, it's, it's interesting the amount of like knowledge you had on that topic alone. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, what's up? Okay, I just learned something. <laughs> yeah, because it's been so long since we did the um, that episode. It was basically it was one of our earlier episodes. I don't recommend listening to it. I do want to revisit that, but yeah, it's nice to get a little update on that because I had known like little tidbits about that. And, you know, here in America, you just hear, oh, the Loch Ness monster is like a paleosaur that got stuck in the Loch Ness. Uh, but, you know, you learn about all the extra history about yeah. Aleister Crowley and then, you know, Jimmy Page owning it. And then, you know, the haunted, you know, conjurings that were there afterwards and therefore. So it's nice to hear sure. that little little bit of an update on that. And hopefully yeah, we do a revisit of that episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I, you know, I say if I shouldn't say if when I'm a bazillionaire. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd very much like to rebuild that and um, have some uh, giant wooden stakes in the back to burn whoever on. 
decides to burn <laughs> it down. But anyone gets anyone who ever gets caught trying to burn it down will just be tied to the stake and burn themselves. Well, sounds- wait a minute. Let's think about let's think about choices here. Like if you impale them, then it can be mm-hmm. kind of like Sam the Impaler too. You know, you <laughs> impale them and burn them. That so. that could be that could work. Yeah, and it could be like a warning to to other people. <laughs> like, yeah. Actually, a, a friend of mine, um, their dad used to catch wasps in the beer garden. You know, we'd be sat outside the pub or whatever, and we'd be wasps flying around everywhere, and I'd be terrified of them. I'd oh fuck, up. wasps, dude! Yeah, I just I'd run a, a a mile. I'd drop a baby. I'd you know I'd kick a cat. Just get me out of there. And I- uh, and he used to catch them in pint glasses. But then he'd sort of wait until they drowned, and then he'd pop their heads off and put them on little matches, and then he'd line up the matches in the in the grooves of the bench, like between the slats of the bench, <laughs> and so he'd have like a little wall of these wasps' heads on sticks <laughs> to kind of like drive away the other wasps. The only problem is, is when a wasp gets squashed, it gives off a pheromone which attracts other wasps to oh, let them know shit. that they're being attacked, and so they all join in the fight. So, yeah, that was fun. It actually drew wasps with the uh, the heads. Is that how? That no, worked? no, 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 no. It um, he he took the heads themselves and put them on matches. Yeah, but I'm saying, did did the heads then with the pheromone? Did they actually draw more wasps to the site instead of like? Oh yeah, them yeah, out? yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Instead Fuck. of the opposite effect. <laughs> I wish I would have known this yesterday because yesterday I was doing yard work and for whatever reason, like I have like 75 wasps nests like in my front and backyard, and Why? I'm out. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I, I wish I knew why, but I'm over there trying to trim the hedges and whatnot. And all of a sudden, like this swarm, like it's so cartoonish, like this swarm of wasps come attacking me. And I got stabbed like about five times by them. Dude. And um, when I got to the backyard, like I, I guess because I had went to war, literal war with this. Like it was like boys in the hood. Like I was shooting, you know, <laughs> spray at them. And I'm swatting them with like a tennis racket. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm at full fucking war with these wasps. And, um, I go to the backyard, try to mow the lawn, and then all of a sudden, uh, this this swarm, just this this cloud of wasps come at me, and they're stinging the crap out of me. And I have a pool, and I tripped over uh, like a rake or something like that, and uh, the extension cord that went into the lawnmower came out and went in the pool, and you just oh, see, crap. yeah, you just see all this like static electricity just. Yeah, so I almost died yesterday, Sam. So <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't, but that's an amusing story. Yeah, thank you, sir. That's yeah, brilliant. yeah. So it it was like it was a uh, World War Three in my backyard yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people say you know just just you know if there's a wasp or a bee, just stay still and they'll leave you alone. And I'm thinking, fuck no, no. I'm just <laughs> no. Those things are possessed by Satan. I don't know who the hell came up with that. Wasps, those. Um, <laughs> Like a bee, a bee will sting you if you kind of wave your arm at it. Yeah. A wasp will just sting you because it's a dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a fucking baseball bat coming at you too, because I got one in the face, three in this arm right here, and then one in the butt cheek, and it just feels like I got beat by a, a Joe Pesci in Casino or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit, I've never been stung by anything. Oh, thank God. Oh, dude. Uh, I think that's probably why I'm so scared because. I don't know what it feels. <laughs> <laughs> that first thing's scary because I don't know if you ever seen that movie My Girl with Macaulay Culkin. Um, I've heard about it, and that's all that runs through my mind is like I don't want to see that because yeah, <laughs> it's just gonna make it worse. Yeah, and it's just like I don't want to die. You know, spoiler alert: anybody who hasn't seen this movie that came out like thirty years ago, but like somebody <laughs> dies because they get stung by a bunch of bees. But um, that was the first thought that crossed my head. Like, and I got stung right in the cheek first, and I was like, oh crap. 
do I need to go to the hospital or should I just keep on doing yard work? <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> but the industrious Mexican in me just said, you know, just keep doing yard work and see what happens. There <laughs> oh, we go. Yeah. Um, so you were talking more about some other, uh, cryptozoology stuff. And then I like had to know about Loch Ness, but uh, uh-huh. what are your other interests in, in those areas? Yeah. I mean, you got the ball rolling there, but like I said, I've never been to Loch Ness. Um, but I have been to all of the redwoods, um, in, uh, California, Washington, Oregon, uh, New York, Arizona, all, you know, all over the place. Um, Texas, and of, of course, I've been looking for Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but funnily, funnily enough, I'm just before you called. I'm I'm just finishing off a chapter um, that I've been invited to put into a book uh, by author David Weatherly, who's written a series of books called Woodnocks, and this is volume four. Um, and they're all different uh, cryptozoologists, or you know, uh, people like me who are just interested or fascinated in the subject have written their own little chapters in all of these volumes. And so there's all different viewpoints from different people and different experiences and things like that, all in these books. So I've done all the, the cover artwork for these books in the past, and I've done a lot of stuff for David for some of his other ghost books and things like that. But this one, he said, um, you know, do you want to actually write a chapter yourself? And I thought, wow, okay, yeah. This is going to be my debut um, published work on Bigfoot. So I've written a 10,000-word essay. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty exciting. So I'll have to send you a copy. Sweet, that's amazing. What do you what are your thoughts on Bigfoot? Um, I mean, the, obviously there's the Patterson Gimlin uh, video, mm-hmm. and then there's yeah. also you know the skunk ape. I believe like in Florida. Then you have the Yeti yep. and whatnot. So the, this is not something that's exclusive to you know the Patterson Gimlin video. Uh, but in general, what are your thoughts? Do you believe that a Bigfoot exists, or is it some kind of ancient animal that you know? had a secret society or underground or it's aliens, you know, or what, what are your thoughts in general on Bigfoot? It's uh, it's such a vast topic and mm-hmm. people, I don't think people really realize just how much um, anecdotal evidence there is mm-hmm. uh, as well as physical evidence. And when you say physical evidence, people say, what, there's a body? And you think, well, no, <laughs> but there are literally hundreds and hundreds of footprint casts mm-hmm. uh, that have been taken all across the region of North America um, alone. You know, that's not including sort of Malaysia and Australia and all the other places in China that have similar mystery hominids, hominids. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in terms of North America, excuse me, I'm going to burp. Excuse oh, beautiful, me. beautiful. Um, I just gulp, gulped my tea down. That's where that was. <laughs> um, feel, feel free to edit that out. No, no, um, it's a, it was a beautiful burp, dude. <laughs> But yeah, in North America, you know, I, I, I've, I've read so many different stories and accounts, and then you look at the history of the Native Americans and mm-hmm. the sort of like 200 plus tribes in the golden days of, of, you know, Native America, where some of these tribes never talk to each other, but they talk about the same thing. They have the same stories describing yep. these giant, hairy other tribes or big brother or whatever. But I always, you know, I always go back to you line everything up, and to me, I honestly think that it's a type of, of human. I think it's another race of people. I think it's another, um, maybe not so much Homo sapien, but it's an offshoot from our common ancestor that is still walking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And here's a, here's a little interesting fact for you, that, which kind of blew my mind. Um, I'll put this in my essay, but spoilers. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the vast sort of terrain of America, North America, including, you know, Canada and everything else, is it, it looks huge on a map and stuff. But from, from my point of view as being British, coming from there, you know, we only ever really see it on TV or in books and things like that. And it's not until you actually go there and you, you step out into the wilderness. And even then, you're kind of on a trail that a lot of people have done. If you go even further out there, it just keeps going for just incalculable miles. It's so vast and wild out there. I, I, I thought, you know, I've got to read up on how much space is out there that we haven't been in and explored. Yeah. Because people say, you know, where does, where does Bigfoot hide? And after seeing it all, my answer is anywhere it wants because it's just so huge out there that the terrain just goes on forever yeah oregon alone there's um and this isn't really a small amount you know 300 million acres of uncharted forest that's not very big really in the grand scheme of things but since the 1960s 900 fatal airplane crashes small airplanes have gone down in oregon and there's like a huge percentage that have never been found in the forest. Wow. So if, so if they can't if they can't even find a plane, they're not going to find something that's walking around that's consciously evading you. Yeah. Um, but as as the whole of uh, North America, you know, the United States is, believe it or not, it's only five percent that we have uh, as populated cities and paved roads. Five percent. And goodness. that's. That's really hard to swallow, but 95% of North America is the great outdoors. Wow. And that's mind-boggling. You know, I read it, and I'm like, that can't be true. But I went on the uh, the U.S. You know, census website and looked at all the facts, and sure enough, it's less than 5% that we have as towns and cities, and we're all pretty clustered in these areas near the coast. You know. Yep. Wow. Yeah, and when Every- you see a picture of the United States or even you know, the United States, Canada, and Mexico, like there's a yeah. vast amount of darkness when you see those pictures at night. Like, of course, you see like L.A., New York, and the East Absolutely. Coast pretty much is pretty much, you know, illuminated. But yeah. the rest of it is just barren. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mountains and desert and trees and valleys and just mm. nothing. Yep. Um, Deserts. You know, and, and it's like, well, they're, they're really quite could happily be something that you would never ever ever see unless you went out into the middle of the nowhere and if you did you probably wouldn't come back because you'd probably die from either the elements and the environment or something would eat you anyway yep you know? so i mean i'm i again i even say this in my essay it's like i don't even use the term belief anymore because it has such a religious connotation you know it already has a doubt when you say belief yeah uh, i think you have to accept that they're out there Oh yeah, um, too many people see these things. Question is, is what are they? And I think they're they're a kind of people because you only have to look at the footprints, which are human shaped, for for it to obviously be some kind of uh, human creature. And then not only that though, too, like there, like when you look at the facts, you mentioned that, like there, there was an actual like animal hominid, whatever you want to call it, uh, Gigantopithecus, you know, that they had in or had in Asia, and you got to mm-hmm. think, you know. You know, that's how the Native Americans came over. They came over the Bering Strait um, through Asia, you know, and inhabited North America. Mm-hmm. What's to say that Gigantopithecus didn't come over that Bering Strait as well and, you know, take up residency in these, you know, forests? Yeah. Well, I, I could do one better than you for that. Oh, okay. Uh, 
let's let's just get you really excited. So Giganopithecus, um, <laughs> we now know, um, was found from uh, just a, a handful of teeth and a fragment of jawbone. Um, they've extrapolated the size of it and they estimated it to be weighing at around a thousand pounds. It was roughly ten feet tall if it stood upright. Wow! But but for the size of it um, and the type of animal that they've now sort of agreed upon is it's some sort of large orangutan type creature. Yeah. Which of course orangutans are in that same region, sort of China, um, Southeast Asia, all the way up to Nepal, Bhutan. Uh, those are where this thing once lived a hundred thousand years ago and so you can imagine that this giant knuckle walker it couldn't really stand upright um it would have to walk like an orangutan it was so huge and would eat bamboo or whatever in the forests in the rainforests there are still jungles either side of the himalayas and so when people go looking in the snowy mountains for the yeti um, they're looking in the wrong place because these things are most likely if they are there still are probably in these tropical rainforests yeah. either side of the Himalayas in India and Nepal and everywhere in Bhutan as I say um, and they probably simply cross the mountain to find a mate in another jungle or another food source they'll literally cross over the hills and that's probably why you hardly ever see them because they hardly ever do that yeah. if they went and looked in the jungles you're probably more likely to find one but I'll do one better um, you're talking about the land bridge that goes off in across the north of China and, and into sort of Canada, Alaska area, Correct. and then da- down into North America. That is a popular consideration that a descendant of Gigantopithecus may have evolved into an upright walking ape that became Bigfoot. It's quite a popular theory. Um, but the better example is from Java, which is just sort of south of China. And in 1941, they also found a sort of a jawbone and some teeth of what we now call Meganthropus, um, which was, in fact, an upright walking human, which was eight feet, three inches tall. Wow. Now, that is a 100% real fossilized, you know, we have several since um, examples of it. And if, if this thing did, over the last, you know, couple million years or whatever, decided to go north of China and across into the land bridge, then I could absolutely accept that Meganthropus is walking around in North America today. I don't, I don't think it's Giganopithecus. I would probably go oh. the other way for Meganthropus. It just fits the shoe, literally. Yeah, Keith brought it up on Google, too. Yeah, and it looks like it could be like the animal that they were the humanoid that there was in the Patterson Gimlin video. Do you mind putting it to the camera, Keith, to show everybody? I don't know. Now, on the audio version, you, <laughs> you probably won't be able to. <laughs> this does a lot of good, but uh, video-wise, because we'll be putting this yeah, video on YouTube. We can post it on Instagram. Yeah, we can put it on Instagram as well. It'll be like the Sam Sheeran episode slash <laughs> swipe to see <laughs> pictures of Meganthropus and Giganthropithecus or whatever. Can you take a screenshot of that? I need to memorize how to spell uh, that. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, because that's interesting. I never heard that. that, and that looks almost exactly like what could have been in the Patterson-Gimlin video. Yeah, I mean, for me, just, just the sheer size of it, because if you consider all the other early humans and, and all the different f- sort of offshoot, offshoots from the Homo family tree, yeah, uh, you know, you've got, they're all really less than six foot tall, most of them. Yeah. Uh, but this one sticks out as, as a true giant, you know? Yeah. Um, and of course, you occasionally get freaks of nature that, uh, that have acromegaly um, and gigantism as a sort of mutation, um, awful conditions. You know, people today have it. Yeah. 
there are people walking around that their bones just don't stop growing because their pituitary gland is you know mutated in some way and so they have these awful conditions where their bones just don't stop growing but what happens there is is your teeth stay the same and Ooh. you end up look, looking like you've got really small teeth and a really big jaw and you kind of look you know odd yeah uh, and so when they found the the meganthropus jaw initially they considered well could this just be a regular human suffering from you know gigantism of some kind or acromegaly and the expert that was looking at it it got sent away to uh, an anthropologist and he he said uh you know all the teeth and the jaw are not malformed in any way this is all scaled up perfectly oh, wow. in, in proportion this isn't a one-off this is a race of people so i mean it's just further proof that there were giants walking around at one point i don't know too they're like in africa too there's certain tribes where it's just like the average height is like seven foot seven um I believe oh, yeah. the basketball player Manute Bull, like he was seven foot seven, and he was described as I believe, don't call me on this, but he was uh, described as the shortest person in his family, and he wow. was the tallest basketball player that you know the NBA has ever huh. seen, and wow. even his son um, Bull Bull, I mean he's humongous as well, but they're all very athletic. They're you know when you think of people um, that are very tall, you think of you know clumsy and, and whatnot, but there's these tribes in Africa remote parts of africa you know they just grow abnormally tall and you know they have to you know for survival where they're living at so it's a it's a testament to uh adaptation of humans absolutely yeah a hundred percent you know um i don't yeah i think the the question of people going missing out in the great outback has probably got a lot to do with um giant hairy territorial beings as well you know it's 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 a a popular speculation that people are being eaten by giants, but it's also very prevalent in a lot of ancient mythology of man eating mm -hmm. giants. And so, are th are these modern people going missing and literally being scooped up by giants and you know beaten to death and torn apart? It's a horrible thought, but yeah. <laughs> it kind of it kind of fits the bill, you know. Yeah, I mean, if anything's possible, you know, at this point, I I, th I think, I mean, and it as there's more basis in science for this as opposed to i think when we did the bigfoot episode that you know it's aliens you know and this these are the the vehicles that the aliens are using to spy on us or whatnot i mean because we sure. cut we try to cover every ground on that but i think it's wow. more i mean it's more plausible your your explanation it would be just like ah it was aliens <laughs> well i mean who knows you know that's that's the beauty of it you know yeah. nobody actually knows there's yeah there's no such thing as an expert because we don't we don't have one to study. So correct, yeah, <laughs> and that's why we cover every base. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. To. I know. We were looking like when we did the Jersey Devil episode. Like that was that was an interesting one for me because I was just like, oh, okay, it was just some random myth or whatnot. But yeah. I guess too, a lot of things um, in in America as well. Uh, when the circus was getting started, you know, the way you know mm. people were selling tickets, you know was to get these uh, animals from, you know, India and Africa that people, you know, in the colonies or even, you know, where you're from, you know, in the UK, yeah, yeah. they had not seen before. And there was a specific type of bat. Um, it has like, for, for the life of me, this name escapes me, but its head looks like that of Joe Camels. But then it has like the wingspan <laughs> of a, of a, you know, a fruit bat or whatnot, right? And yeah. then you would hear these stories of, you know, these circus folk or carnies, you know, getting these exotic animals and painting them up to be these, you know, you know, creatures from hell or whatnot to sell a couple tickets. Uh -huh. And then, yeah, sure. yeah. you know, after a while, you know, these, 
um, carny folk, they would, you know, go out of business. And so what they would have to do is just set these animals free. And that's kind of like where I landed on the Jersey Devil. It was, okay, maybe it was this African bat that was just set free and it found a home in this part of America. Yeah, I like that. that yeah, who knows, right? Yeah, and um, I don't. have you ever heard of Skinwalker Ranch? Of course. Okay, oh. <laughs> Awesome, dude! dude you, you're oh man, you're you just became a third host. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, I was doing when I was doing my research on that as well. Um, they were talking about oh, there's a lot of unexplained, you know, animals in the area like tropical birds and whatnot, and yeah. um, animals that like foxes that you would only find, uh, you know, in Siberia or whatnot. And the explanation mm-hmm. for that is is that was a popular spot, you know, for people to dump these exotic animals. Yeah, I mean, it happens in the UK. It has done, um, particularly in the 1970s. I don't know if you're familiar with um, alien big cats, as they're called in the UK. Oh, no. Uh, there's nothing to do with aliens and UFOs in that <laughs> regard. But alien as in literally the term that they're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Uh, you've got these black panthers or, or these these giant pumas and things that are um, literally running around the wilds of the UK in Scotland, England, Ireland, and, and Wales. And... It, since the 70s people have been reporting seeing these cats a few have been caught on camera um and it's you know without a question there's you know oh look a panther you know it's not a domestic cat yeah um, livestock have been found with all the telltale signs of a big cat attack uh there was a boy walking along a canal he had scratches across his face and he said that this giant black cat jumped out at him uh i've even seen one myself oh wow uh, driving through Preston at night uh, maybe 15 years ago with my then girlfriend and one of these things just sort of like strolled across the road the country roads in front of us and wow. leapt over a hedge leapt right six foot over a hedge like it floated over oh, and wow. then I called I called the uh, the National Big Cat Society the next day and they got back to me and they said yep yeah, yep yeah, you've seen one um, you're probably like the fifth person who's called this week you know there's one in the area um, but the story behind that is exactly the same sort of thing People would have exotic pets, everything from crocodiles and leopards and, and birds of prey, um, you know, down to these uh, black cats or, you know, wolves and things like that. And in the 70s, so many people had these pets that the government decided to bring in a license law, which around the time I think was about £2,000, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. To just have a license to own an animal. Um, and so most people just couldn't afford it, you know, so they either handed them to the zoos and more often than not they were destroyed because they just couldn't house them um or they would release them into the the fields and the moors of england you know it's like sherlock holmes and the hounds of the baskerville yeah you know you've literally got these giant animals that shouldn't be there now running around the countryside attacking sheep and people um and it's not a it's not a myth it's not a legend it's it's a fact this happened and to this day, they're now protected by the queen. Um, farmers are not allowed to shoot them. And they're quite happily, seemingly, breeding small populations out in the highlands of Scotland. And wow. In England, Ireland, and Wales. You know, we will occasionally see a black puma or some kind of black leopard walking through a farmland. You know, they're, they're quite often seen. That's amazing because when I think of like places like that, I always think of like damp, cold, and like how can this like 
tropical yeah. cat <laughs> survive out there, but I guess you yeah. could, you know. Well, I mean, you know, to quote Dr. Ian Malcolm, uh, life uh, finds a, a way. way. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. Uh, speaking of run-ins, uh, when you were sending me your resume, you, you put on there that you had a black bear run-in. What, you want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was actually my first time in the Redwoods. Um, uh-huh. And it's really funny because I remember uh, – me and my friend Aaliyah, we, we drove up and she had a four by four huge discovery vehicle type thing. So we drove out to Willow Creek, which is not too far from Bluff Creek, the yep. infamous spot, you know, where for the listeners where the Patterson Gimlin famous, most famous, never proven as a hoax footage of Bigfoot was taken. So we decided we're going to go up there and uh, live for Bigfoot. And of course, we never saw one, but it was baking hot. And um, I remember as soon as we pulled up in the woods we were under the canopy of the trees and it was dark even though it was the middle of the day and i saw this metal sign with a bear on it and i i just had this sort of instant fear of oh shit i'm gonna get eaten by a bear i don't like this and i didn't want to get out of the car i was actually quite scared i thought you know is this is this wise is this you know sensible i don't have a gun on me i don't know what i'm doing and my friend said no no it's fine it's just a sign that they're, they're around here and i'm like that doesn't help. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's great that they know, but now I know. You know, yeah. now I'm scared. But anyway, I sort of got over it, and we went for a hike. And then before we know it, I was whistling through the woods like one of the seven dwarves. You know, I was quite happy. Um, and you know, I'm looking at insects and giant yellow slugs and all kinds of weird animals, and it, it was great. I saw bald eagles flying around, and it was a really, really hot day. And so. Um, I went against the advice of the parks department down in Willow Creek, who told me to not get into any of the rivers because they've lost nine people that year already. Ooh, yeah. Um, because there's an undercurrent and you can get carried away and smashed on rocks and things like that. But it was so baking hot, I found a really what seemingly was a calm area in the Klamath River down by Willow Creek. And I just decided to strip down to my boxer shorts and jump in. And so I'm just floating around real comfortable. And it was it was really pleasant. And again, I saw bald eagles flying over me. And it was like a dream. It was just absolute heaven. Um, and then got out, sort of sat on the back of the vehicle, had a cigarette, dried off, uh, and, and thought, right, okay, let's sort of trek on and, and go hike somewhere. And as we're pulling away, this big black bear oh, starts shit. is lumbering down to the exact spot where I was swimming. And I, you know, I was literally missed it by about five minutes. Um, and so it wasn't like a face-to-face thing, thank God, but it just shows you how <laughs> how, uh, how silly it was to, to just sort of... Get, <laughs> they would have just found your heart, you know? heart boxer shorts in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that's, all, that's all that would be left of me. Hey, you know, here's an interesting point as well. Did you know that if a bear decides to eat you, um, it'll just start eating. It doesn't care if you're alive or dead. It won't yeah. kill you. It'll just start eating. Oh, my gosh. I'm assuming me, you already follow this page on your Instagram, but I'm going to shout it out there anyways. Um, the way I know this is, is there's an Instagram account called Nature is Metal, and you see that all the time, dude. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, just like bear. Like, it's just nature in general, and it's just the brutality. Yeah, Nature That's is Metal. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. one of the craziest. It's I'm an animal person, but it's just like to see that there's the brutality of nature is it's macabre, yeah. but at the same time, it's beautiful. But yeah, you see that all the time. Like bears are a scary animal because 
I mean, oh, they can hard. run fast as hell. They can climb. They can swim. Miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. They're one of the scariest animals on earth. Yeah. So, uh, just to kind of add to this a little bit, I grew up in California, mm-hmm. uh, for 32 years. And then I moved to Montana with my wife and you know, I'd seen bears like, or, you know, heard about people seeing bears and like black bears, brown bears, whatever. Like, you know, they usually don't kill you. And then I moved to Montana and it's like, Oh yeah, we have grizzly bears here too. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> I have to this day, I have not, and I should, but like, I have not been camping and everyone's like, why aren't you going camping? I'm like, I don't want to see like my wife, like, I don't want to get killed by a bear, but I also don't want to see like my wife get like eaten in front of my face. Like I will have to fight this bear to the death, like clan of the cave yeah. bear status and get yeah. my head bit off. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm not really down for that. Camping goes wrong. Uh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think grizzly bears add that new element of terror to the potential of meeting a bear absolutely um, yeah i mean i assume you've seen um Werner herzog's uh, grizzly man documentary yep. <laughs> yeah i've seen parts of that so, i mean that's just wow. that's just horrific yeah um, where he's listening to the recording um of of you know this unfortunate end to this couple and he says to the mother of of you know the girl or whatever you know don't ever listen to this destroy it and you just i can't even imagine like having to as you say see your partner being eaten alive um just absolutely horrific and there's almost nothing you can do too because i've seen nothing videos. <laughs> I've, I've seen people with shotguns you know like oh yeah take yeah. direct shots at them and they just keep trucking and just they won't stop until they kill oh, especially gosh. a mother bear well, I mean, the now thickness that... of the fur and, mm. and the thickness of their skin is, you know, unless mm. you've got a gun that's designed for it, it's yeah. not going to do anything. Nope. I mean, this is Montana, so I think the average gun per household is like 45 <laughs> guns per household. And wow. that's me as a Californian with one 12-gauge. Um, you know, wow. we're in the mix as well. So, you know, I, I don't know. But, I mean, maybe <laughs> I have a friend that brings some kind of a pistol with, like, armor-piercing rounds. Oh, my like, God. Nice. And it's like, you know, I, w- I wonder if like a slug, if you just had a slug in your, in the shotgun, if that would even phase the bear. I don't know. But I'd probably take one if I go camping. <laughs> yeah, you better. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. creepy. Yeah, better than a frying pan. Th- this, <laughs> that's a question that's... Um, <laughs> frying pan. <laughs> that's a question I want to ask, too. Like you being, um, you know, from the UK... And uh, yeah, guns. Um, This weekend, we had two more mass shootings. And this is a topic that we've covered before as well. It's just okay. Um, America is so in love with guns. And my stance on it has always been like, okay, here in California, like if you have a gun, like you must be a criminal or you, what are you doing with a gun? Like there's no reason for a gun other than, you know, maybe, you know, to protect your home. But as Keith alluded to as well, you know, you have a very strong, you know, population here in America that is very, you know, passionate about guns. It's almost a religion. Um, <laughs> but, you, but, but for with good reason, because, okay, if you live in the wilds of Montana, hey, you don't want to get caught slipping, you know, when a grizzly bear comes knocking at your door. So, um, how, where do you stand on this whole, um, it's a very divisive issue. Um, I believe there was another shooting last night as well. Wasn't yeah. There, there was Dayton, Ohio. Or something. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, coming from Great Britain, we don't, I'd say we don't have guns. We do have guns. Um, but as you say, it's the criminals that have them. Um, 
and that is sort of a, a great example when people say in america you know well if you if you take away all the guns you know the criminals will still have them and that's true because that's the case in england yeah uh, and people say and how are we going to defend ourselves from all these criminals with guns well guess what that's you know that's not going to be um every single second of the day you're not going to have like the purge happening all of yeah. a sudden as because that's not going on now, and it's not because everyone has guns. If someone's going to shoot you, they're going to shoot you, whether you have a gun or not. Correct. So, you know, the time it takes for you to get your gun out of your safe at home or from off your belt, or even if you even see the other guy has a gun, it's too late. You know, um, people sort of have these, I've seen these ridiculous videos where they'll pull a lever next to their bed and a shotgun drops into their hands from above. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, and you just think, what are you what are you doing? You know, yeah. Elmer Fudd. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, dang it. I guess I'm going to take mine down in my Montana home now. <laughs> <laughs> it's above it's his fireplace. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I just think it's, um, you know, that the argument of how would we defend ourselves from the criminals and the other argument, how would we descend, defend ourselves from our own government mm -hmm. is absolutely outdated and ridiculous. The government are not going to knock on your door and people will be probably screaming at this, listening, going, yes, they could. But, <laughs> yeah. but they're, they're not going to. They're not, you know, we're living in a different time, a scary time, yeah. and a fucked up backwards, you know, time. Um, there are things that are completely being reversed, which is just obscene mm -hmm. um, in regards to women's rights and everything else. But in terms of guns, in all honesty, we don't need them. And we certainly don't need to be putting them in schools, in teachers' hands. Um, you know, what or are they going to get put silences on the ones in the library? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous. It's not going to work. Correct. Yeah. I and then here's the sad thing too. It's just that I said it earlier. It's like almost like a religion for some people, and they come up with this theory that you know the government's trying to take my you know my way to to defend myself. And I always think like, well, we have drones now that kill people. Like you're. Whatever gun that you have, whether it be, you know, a pistol or, you know, a bazooka, you know, there's drones that fly 60,000 miles up in the sky and have precision accuracy that can kill you right where you stand right now. You, whatever gun yep. that you have is not going to help because we're in, we're about to be in 2020 right now. And technology, yeah, yeah. you know, a satellite uh, could navigate its way to kill you, you know, and it's 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. Unless I'm, yeah, unless I'm in some kind of lead-lined bunker, it's yeah. going to be able to see through several floors of my apartment into the exact spot where I'm sat talking to you on a laptop. And unless <laughs> you space. cover your yeah. your laptop's uh, <laughs> <laughs> webcam, I mean, they're yeah. looking at you right now. So. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's the other thing is as you say we're living in the future. We are, you know, we, we don't have flying cars, but we've got electric ones. You know, we have. Yep. everything now that is just on the verge of just we're about to go into space as a spacefaring people you know give it 50 years and that will be a holiday yeah mm -hmm. it's just it's crazy yeah, um, spend my july on the moon oh. yeah right <laughs> yeah so speaking of the moon i mean just to keep i, I just want to talk to you forever i'm let us know if we're taking up too much of your <laughs> hey, time no, no, no. Uh, one of the most heated debates we had on this podcast was with my co-host who wasn't here isn't here right now but 
he believes we did not get on, go to the moon. He he believes that that was filmed by Stanley Kubrick or and whatnot. But I'm of the belief that yeah, you know, due to Operation Paperclip and Werner von Braun, he came over from the Nazis and helped us uh, build the Saturn V. I believe we did land on the moon. So are you of the camp that believes that you know it was faked, or what? Do you, what are your thoughts on that? Here's here's my stance. Um, I'll say from the get-go, I, I absolutely accept that we did go when, when they said we did, um, and, you know, several times since. However, I recently sort of stumbled across a few examples of a really awesome new, well, not so new, but new to me, uh, conspiracy theory regarding the moon landing, is that the the landing in 1969, the, the first Apollo 11 mission when, you know, Neil and Buzz are up there, and Michael Collins, don't know why he bothered going he didn't get out but um, <laughs> it's like you know yes we did do that but i also think and here's the theory is i also believe and and sort of kind of agree that we went many times before that as tests yeah and some of, the, some of them probably went wrong and so the reason people find it hard to accept that we went is because it was too fucking perfect first time. And, and I think that's the smoking gun. I don't think it was the first time. No. That's why it was so perfect. Mm-hmm. Because if you're thinking about it, you know, how do you – you're talking about literally kilobytes of memory to get this entire program off the books and, and running and stuff. I, I listen to. Uh, do you ever listen to the Graylian Report with Micah Hanks? No, I haven't. Okay, so there's a podcast called the Graylian Report, and it's it's all about the unexplained and conspiracy theories and things like that, and it's fascinating. But a couple of weeks ago, he had a guy on from NASA who was telling the story of a, a woman way back then who worked for NASA, who was uh, one of the first. Um, I think she she coined the term software would write the codes for the trajectories and the landing plans for the little limb that lands on limb that lands on the moon and that kind of thing. And she'd written all this code in there and she was working late and, and her daughter was at work with her. Who's, you know, four or five years old. And she was really concentrating on writing this code for this, you know, space mission. And, uh, her daughter said, can I go and, you know, play astronaut over there? And she said, yeah, 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 sure. You know, just don't break anything, whatever. Apparently, the little girl comes back and says, Mommy, I broke the spaceship. And she says, Oh, God, what? So she walks over and she says, Oh, I pressed these buttons on this pad and this started flashing and it, it's not working anymore. The, the lights aren't, you know, doing the, the nice pattern or whatever it is. And the woman had this epiphany like, Oh, shit. If the astronaut puts in the wrong code, it's not going to work. Her daughter actually, by fluke, figured out a huge flaw. And so she wrote to her higher ups or contacted them and said, you know, I need to put in some extra code for like a fail safe if the astronauts, you know, accidentally put in the wrong punch code to sort of bring up different trajectories and things like that, then it's just gonna freeze up and crash and they're gonna be floating out in space with no control. Wow. And they said uh, the authorities said, um, you know, because she was a woman, you know, patronizingly so they said, Oh, don't worry your little head, you know, these are guys are professionals, they know what they're doing. Wow. And so she took it upon herself to write the code anyway and install it. And so Good what happened her. was what happened was when the mission went ahead, as the story goes, I think it was Buzz actually did put in the wrong code. And this oh, error message flashed shit. up on the screen and he's talking to Houston saying, I've never seen this before. What what I've put the wrong code in, I don't know what to do. 
and apparently down you know on ground control they're flipping through the textbooks going what's this code what's this code and then one of her colleagues said oh don't worry it's this we know what that is just put in this code and it'll reset so they told buzz and and he did and apparently it was all back to normal and he could put the code back in again and so by the fluke of a child fucking around <laughs> you know they kind of saved the day yeah it's, it's little stories like that that you, you you never really hear and and it's also stories like that that says to me that it's absolutely real that we went because you don't make shit like that up no that's too good of a story you have to be exactly. a pretty good yeah, novelist or whatever who has studied some kind of real-life events to be able to make something like that up. But, yeah, it's not very plausible. Yeah, that's like it's Charlie like... Murphy's Real Hollywood Stories. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> a... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love you, man. So <laughs> kind of to you know, get this um, <laughs> in a better tone, um, is there anything else that interests you, um, you know, other than, you know, your artwork or anything? Is there any, like, guilty pleasures or anything that people would be surprised to know about you? Oh, man, that is a good question. I really, oh, off the top of my head, I, you kind of, that's a curveball. I really don't know. <laughs> I've got one that I can kind of ask and see. Um, you're, it seems like you're into, um, you know, metal and that type of music. Um, do you play any music yourself? No, there you go. Um, I do not. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, no, it's it's funny. It's it's sort of been like since my childhood, I've always had this um, little desire in the back of my brain of of wanting to do my own album at some point. And the intention is to do an album of my own at some point. But um, you know, I'm first and foremost and always will be a visual artist. It's just that I can't help but think to myself. You know, what a wasted opportunity for the amount of people that I work with in that industry to not put an album together and have guest appearances, you know, from all of the different artists, musicians, singers, drummers, bass players, whatever, and then have my writing, my words, my voice on there as an album with my own artwork as the package. You know, I think it's, yeah. kind of, uh, it's an opportunity that I really need to look more into, but um, I've sort of had it on the shelf for about 10 years, just writing lyrics you know coming up with a few ideas um but in terms of actual musical instruments i can't play anything <laughs> <laughs> did you say um on uh, your resume you sent me didn't you say you did vocals for fear factory i did yeah yeah okay. it's um the last album they did genexus which is what five years ago maybe um the sort of terminator themed uh ai cyborg album i mean they all are aren't they really but <laughs> yeah. um yeah, that was the sort of uh, the last track. I'm on it here, there, and everywhere throughout the album. Um, but Burton Sibel, the singer, is a, a friend of mine. He he hit me up and said um, he'd been trying to do this these these sort of lines uh, at the end of the album in a sort of a British accent, and he he just couldn't do it. Um, and so he called me up and he says, "Hey, do you want to come into the studio and be British?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I did. You know, I, I went over and. Um, I said a few lines and a, a few different sort of things that Burton had written. Um, and then working with Dino, uh, the guitar player, as well, Dino Caceres, of course, the, the other half of Fear Factory, um, went over to his house and recorded me doing more vocals of uh, actual sort of twisted versions of lines from the movie Blade Runner. Didn't want to do the exact lines uh, because we didn't want to get sued or, yeah. you know, we weren't exactly sure where the, that sort of lay 
And so I said, well, let me let me just change a few words around or phrase it differently, but give it the same feel of the sort of the the end, Rutger Hauer line of Tears in Rain, you know, when he when he's sort of given that poetic speech, hmm. um, kind of finishes the Fear Factory album, and it and it really worked. I really enjoyed doing that. Because I remember when we when I was testing out the Skype with you, um, I mean, the first thing that hit me was like, wow, he has a wonderful voice. You need to do audible oh. books. <laughs> I would I would listen to anything you read. <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe I should just um, read really innocuous, bizarre, stupid stories, but in a serious voice. Yeah, I would listen to it. I'd buy it. <laughs> or children's books, but in a really creepy way. <laughs> Green eggs and ham. <laughs> Hop on pop. <laughs> <laughs> one um, fish two fish blue fish <laughs> that's amazing yeah no i agree i think uh i mean if you ever just in you know got the itch to do something like that for you know and that's that's something i pay attention to as you know an author is uh audiobooks and stuff and it would it would definitely be cool to hear you uh you know read a book or something it's yeah well i mean it's it's funny because i used to be on a podcast um as a co-host uh oh. with shannon legro and ryan sprague um ryan sprague is sort of a, a ufo expert he's written a few books he has his own podcast now called somewhere in the skies check that out um and shannon legro has into the fray which was uh, you know we'd all get together uh, on a weekly basis and sort of do that and talk about everything from Bigfoot, ghosts and UFOs, you name it. Um, and then we both, Ryan left and did his solo thing and I left and did, you know, more of my art stuff. Um, we just decided to sort of step away because it was more of her show. Um, and we're coming up to the 200th episode, I think, tomorrow. Um, oh, wow. Me and Ryan are going to go back on the show and do a sort of a... Uh, celebration for Shannon and be like, hey, and we're all going to get together and talk again. Um, but I've I have thought about doing my own podcast just solo myself, just reading ghost stories and things like that. Oh, do, it. do it, do yeah, it. I need to know about that. <laughs> uh, let, let me know if you think I will, will. I will. Let me know yeah. because you will be you will have a uh, a follower on that one. <laughs> two, <laughs> two of them. <laughs> Unfortunately, this just there really isn't um, enough hours in the day. I mean, it's you know people yeah. say something make time but there just isn't time yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think you know maybe come new year i'll start seriously looking at uh putting a few hours away and creating a podcast because the idea would be to you know it wouldn't be live i could record it puts you know a bit of sound effects on the background and then just release the whole thing you know it would be done but nice. i just sort of put one up every week and it'd be like don't have to worry about doing it because it's all done <laughs> that's the dream <laughs> anyway that's the sort of the thing the logical thinking you know? yeah or but, you go into it with somebody who knows all the sound engineering and can do that so all you got to do is sit down and read with the pretty british accent and a little bit of darkness and then <laughs> you know just send that raw unedited clip to somebody and then they put it up yeah 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 so. maybe maybe yeah it's possible hey and if you need help i'm down <laughs> let's make oh, it happen okay. yeah yeah, um, bear that in mind. Thanks. And then also too, I just one more thing that I want to go over with you too. You, I guess you played Dracula in uh, in a play. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so being um, again, obviously British, um, and I'm not the, you know, the ugliest chimp in the gang. Oh, you're um, beautiful, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Um, and I've got long black hair sort of down to the middle of my back and a long beard tail kind of thing. And I'm incredibly white. Um, even though I've been out in LA for about 13 years, my friends are like, how are you still white? You know, <laughs> he didn't go to Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just stay indoors of a day and work on artwork and then go out of a night, you know, there you go. Um, lost boy style. But, uh, it's, it's one of those things where, again, the first few years living in Hollywood, I was in a few music videos as an extra, um, here, there and everywhere. I do little bit parts and, People would just say to me, you know, you, you, you're British and you, you know, pretty good looking. Um, why, why don't you get into acting? Because, you know, surely they'll snap you up. There's not many people that can sound and look like you. So I, I decided, yeah, what the hell? And I joined, um, I think it was Actors Access, one of those online sort of acting, applying things where you'll get emails of different lists of uh, roles and stuff. And the first thing that popped up was um, theater. And I thought, eh, I don't really want to do theater. You know, I'd, I'd rather just be in a blockbuster movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's the sort of initial fantasy idea in the back of your head, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to be a famous actor. But um, I thought, well, I've got to start somewhere. And you do get more credibility if you do theater. So uh, there was a role for Dracula coming up, a cast of 13 in a theater in North Hollywood. And I applied. And I got a call, and they said, can you come in? We want to see you and have you read. So I thought, oh, shit, it's actually happened. Oh, <laughs> what, what have I done, you know? Um, and then I, I, got, I jumped in an Uber and went down and met the director, and there was, I think, four or five other guys that had long hair and beards <laughs> all <laughs> sitting in the waiting room, um, also going for the same part, you know? And then there was a couple of Van Helsing, some older guys. There was a, a, a bunch of girls that were going to be the brides or mina or lucy there you um, go you know the, the whole cast there's like just tons of people there like 20 odd people and then uh one by one they would call well, the director would call the person into the actual main theater room to stand on the stage and he would sit in the audience just like you've seen in the movies you know where they, they say right shows what you got and you just stand there on your own and and sort of recite something for two minutes um and so and this is hilarious but so the first guy that goes in, um, we can hear him through the wall, and he's like bellowing out Shakespeare, and it's all, you know, he's got a really strong voice, and we're all looking at each other going, well, fuck, you know, <laughs> how can we top that? Um, and then he goes quiet, and you can just hear them sort of murmuring and talking to each other. And, um, and then the director comes out, and this guy sort of leaves, and then he looks at his clipboard and then says, uh, Sam Sheeran. And I go, oh, shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm next. <laughs> and I'm he follows that. Yeah, I'm literally next. And I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell. So I, I'd already been told you know, by email to prepare a two-minute monologue um, to recite. You know, uh, So I'd spent like, the last couple of days or whatever trying to find quotes from films or, or some kind of, you know, literally Shakespeare stuff like I could remember and I was practicing in front of the mirror trying to re remember the lines and I just it just wasn't working I just couldn't remember these lines and it was part nerves and it was also how should I say it I don't really know these words and I'm not sure how it's supposed to be delivered so I was thinking what the hell am I doing let's just do something that I know so I went into the room and I stood on the stage and the director says okay when you're ready and for two minutes I slowed down and did a spoken word version in poetry if you will of um typo negatives black number one 
Oh, snap. <laughs> so what is the band this? Typo Negative is just black, have to black. be... Yeah, my favorite band in the world, and I know you know their music and their lyrics inside out. So I thought, what if I just spoke those lyrics, you know, in the style of Christopher Lee or something, oh, and wow. uh, and sort of just give it a bit more of a depth and a slowness and a more of a, an attitude and poignant meaning to some of the words. Not that you have to, you know, that song's incredible, but without the music, it, it really is quite an interesting sort of poem. And when I finished, he goes, "Oh wow, what was that?" And I told him, I was just honest. I just said, you know, hey, this. And he goes, wow, that's great. Just uh, if you could just wait in the lobby, don't leave. And then for the rest of like the next hour or so, he kept having me go back in with different girls and try lines um, to see sort of chemistry with different girls that were going to play Mina. And uh, the next the next sort of day or two, I got a call back and he says, hey, I want you to play Dracula. Are you still interested? And I thought, oh, shit, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> because after that, I then because uh, I thought, you know, it's just going to be a theater show. No, it was 22 hour theater shows. Um, and we did this over the whole of sort of October and part of November. And um, every night I'd go on stage, I'd kiss the girl, I'd kill people and I would die in a pool of blood. And it was amazing. It was one of the most exhilarating experiences I've ever done in my life. And um, I absolutely loved it, yeah. Now, let me ask, I mean, you were working at this time. You're living in L.A., so, like, that's a lot, a huge time commitment. Were they actually paying you? I've done tons of plays, and I've never been paid to do acting. Oh, wow, but, have you? That, yes. Um, yeah, I didn't see a penny. And, in fact, I actually put money into it. I created some of the blood effects. So oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, Beyond the call time, of duty. Yeah, the funny thing is, is the director told us at the beginning when we were in rehearsals at the very get-go, you know, when we started, um, he was saying, you know, yeah, we're going to have these big blood explosions and we're going to have blood packs and blah, blah, blah. And none of that happened. You know? <laughs> it, it got to like, you know, a week before opening and, and me and my friend, who I'm still friends with today, actually, a really good friend of mine, Hunter Davis, um, he played Renfield. Um, and he would drive me to the theater, so he was literally my servant. <laughs> That's method acting at its best. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, that was actually brilliant, and we became really close friends. But me and him were looking at each other, and we're like, where the fuck are all the effects? And so I decided to sort of make an effect where we'd have um, a wooden stake uh, covered in fake blood at one end and rags, and a giant magnet the size of a sort of magnet you pull out of an old television sort of glued to the bottom of it mm -hmm. and then a metal plate under my shirt so i would turn my back to the crowd and van helsing would pretend to stab me in the back whereas renfield would hand me this stake and i would quickly snap it with the magnet onto my chest and burst a blood pack that's you know also under my chest and then when i would turn around this stake would appear to be sticking out of me with blood pouring out of me and and it looked absolutely fantastic, if I must say so myself. Dang. But the director, when the first time he saw it, after the show, he came running into the dressing room and he's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> Wait, so and, you didn't uh, tell him? You just surprised on stage well, did this? Well, the, funny, the funny thing was, is we hadn't <laughs> mentioned it to him, but he'd never, <laughs> he'd never actually seen it work. And so the first time we did it, I'm literally on my knees and I'm reciting the final lines and, you know, the I love yous and the tragedy of it. And as the as the lights are sort of slowly dimming down, there's literally blood pouring out of my chest into a puddle on the floor. And and I look fantastically horrific. And the whole audience are like, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, you know, um, 
yeah, he was shocked and he was really surprised. But a couple of the other actors that were there in the theater once he'd left the room, one of the old ladies who played one of the mums, she came over to me and she said, don't worry, sweetheart. He's just jealous that he didn't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's LA. Yeah, I mean, that's one life lesson too. It's better to ask for uh, forgiveness than it is permission. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, man. Um, so I just want to share a theater experience that I had with blood okay. on stage, but it wasn't supposed to happen. It did happen. And it's going to tie into Jacob's, uh, one of his podcasts coming up because my friend Vincent uh, Cruz is coming on here. So we did Rashomon and we're samurais and we're fighting. And um, I'm playing the bandit. I'm playing Toshiro Mifune's character in in the movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we had these different uh, fight scenes orchestrated and there's like the, the badass one that I think the bandit tells. And then there's the funny one where the wife basically tells her version where the men are these cowards who are fighting. And then there was another version. Um, But I want to say it was during the cowardly fight or maybe it was the last fight where the woodcutter's watching or something like that. Whatever the case, we're not trying to be, you know, actually do cool moves or anything. Um, we're being like sissies. But <laughs> something happens here. And we're using real swords that we just dulled down. So they're still Uh-oh. metal. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> our our uh, director was awesome and just letting us buy swords for this thing too. So anyhow, um, <laughs> we kind of do one of those anime like run at each other like sword swingy you know that samurai duel where it's one swing and they you know they run past each other yep. and then somebody's head falls off True, so yeah. we do one of those but i didn't use my blade properly i kind of <laughs> swung it out too much like oh this won't hit him i don't know what i was thinking and so mid fight now we're having to do this silly fight and i noticed like the stage is black but there's this like red super red like drops all over and i'm like what i look at his hand and it's just blood all over Oh and I had hit one of the veins in the back of his Ooh. hand and uh, he finished, Shit. he finished this play, but I mean, the stage was just completely covered in <laughs> gore and That's then he got taken crazy. to the hospital <laughs> and he, so he wasn't even there for curtain call and I had to come out and say, Hey, you know, uh, the husband's okay. He's uh, headed to the hospital now, <laughs> <laughs> That's but yeah, definitely kind of an interesting uh, story and yours reminded me of it slightly. Yeah, that's that's great, man. Wow. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Acting, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about. I mean, I'm game. I could stay on the phone for you for, on the phone with you forever. <laughs> yeah, so you you're you're all based pretty close to me relatively speaking. Correct. Yeah, Bakersfield. So, if I'm driving maybe like an hour and a half away from probably where you're at. Well, we'll all have to get together and have a beer at some point. Oh, that'd I'm be, totally down for that. That'd be fun, man. I'm coming back yeah. from Montana in a couple of weeks, so you know if you want to do something next month or whatever, good. that'd be Let's awesome. Let's do that. Let's oh look yeah. Yeah, yeah. And my girlfriend, she's from Hollywood, so she's always down to go down back to the home hometown. <laughs> so awesome, man! Well, thanks for uh, the opportunity to talk to you, and it's great to have a chat and uh, speak to you again, Keith. And nice to meet you, Jacob. You as well. Is there anything you want to plug, like any um, social media or upcoming events or anything like that? Um, well, I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, I don't know if you have show notes or if you can put links in it or anything like that. But, oh, I will. Uh, yeah, I'm on all of those platforms and I have a, a print store where you can buy prints of my artwork, all signed in silver. Um, nice. So yeah, that's like a big cartel as well. I can send you the link to that. And right, do yeah. check that art out. It is beautiful and dark and just cool. So everywhere at uh, Sam Sharon, right? Yeah. Okay. 
and we will definitely put links on that on the Instagram. And do you mind if we use some of your artwork for the Instagram and then um, so that way, you know, people are aware of all that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Sweet. I, I had to get that permission first because I, yeah, I've had thanks. a couple of people, hey, why are you taking my artwork? No, that's fine. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam. Well, it was, it, was a, it was a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Likewise. Likewise. And feel free to come on whenever, ever you want. Just hit me up. You have my phone number. All right, man. Take care now. You too. All right, Sam. Thank talk you. to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yep. But we'll do a little outro. Okay, he's on. All right, cool. So that was, I think, I believe, Art Jacob Do America's fourth uh, interview and this uh, i gotta say i say it after every interview that you know it's one of my favorite interviews but this one was one of my favorites as well i'm so glad you were here to fill in keith i mean i felt like it was only proper so i mean did we go over um how you guys met uh not really well we'll do that in the intro because we're recording <laughs> sure, after sure, this sure. so um yeah i gotta thank you as well keith for coming on and filling in um wonderful to have you here you're you're part of the show you're officially been moved into the fourth slot fourth horseman (laughs) yeah the fourth horseman of the apocalypse (laughs) over here so um do you have anything you want to plug um you know not right now well you know i'll I'll say that i'm working i'm working on a podcast right now and uh it's going to be like a fantasy adventure it's a serial podcast and i'm going to leave it at that for now but we'll probably talk about it more because oh yeah i'm sure that what do they call it nepotism like you know you're going (laughs) to help your family out is that what that is yeah nepotism yeah okay um yeah we're definitely uh feeding into that (laughs) I mean, the I'm fucking sure. president can do it. Then fuck, why can't I do it? Shit. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure that we'll we'll plug it once it's out. But, you know, I'm looking to try and put season one out probably. And I'd love to do it in November. So we'll see. Sweet. And then we also got some other stuff uh, in the works. I don't know if I can talk about it just yet. But I got to thank you for that as well with all my heart and soul. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's not yet. But Yeah, soon. we won't go into it. But, yeah, just everybody be on the lookout for that really big things are on the horizon for art and jacob do america and some sister or brother shows as well so be on the lookout for that um as always uh, thank you to fight back cbd i'm sorry eric isn't here to shout them out um uh, but i'm gonna do my best uh <laughs> salesman gimmick uh fight back cbd check them out at uh, fightbackcbd.com as well as on instagram and facebook at fight back cbd um pure 100 percent organic thc free um, CBD oil. Now, this isn't snake oil. This isn't some stuff that's gonna, um, you, you know, give you a placebo effect. This is actually stuff that works. I use it pretty much on a daily basis. Um, as I've said many times before, I've been dealing with a slip disc in my back um, from being too aggressive in the gym, and um, you know, it really helps alleviate the pain that I deal with with that. Um, as long as well as other people, they use it, you know, for you know minor injuries, you know, doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu because you know they support that community as well as pro wrestlers. You know, they put their body through a car accident every time you know they get in a ring and provide a match for you guys. So, you know, make sure you check them out. Um, uh, it's you know made in the great state of Texas. Everything is handmade, so support them. You know, it's not just some random. You know, Philip Morris, a uh, large company that's going to steal your money and give you some <laughs> bullshit. You know, it's just some actual great stuff. So check them out. Um, and then when you check them out and you buy their products, please make sure you use the promo the promo code America at checkout for 10% off. So that way it can save you, save you some shekels. And, um, hey, it lets you know that, you know, you're listening to the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. So, 
with that said everyone keith do you have anything else you want to add thanks for having me on the show as anytime you want sir you're you're literally a part of the family so with that said everybody have a beautiful beautiful night